What up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy, Will Weir, checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me as he does each and every time on this beautiful MLK Day, my best friend, co-host, and the coach of our podcast, the one and only Greg Manakis. Happy MLK Day, my guy. Yeah, same to you, same to you. That was a heck of a game by the Celtics. Right around, like, I don't know, midway through the second quarter, I almost tweeted out, I feel like Tatum could go for 50 tonight. I didn't send the tweet, and of course, he goes for 51. Unbelievable performance from our to, guy. To be honest, karma-wise, it's probably better you didn't. Like, I, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously it probably wouldn't have changed anything, but it always feels good when it's like, ah, I don't want to be that guy that is like, man, I said he's going to go for 50. All of a sudden, he airballed four shots in a row. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it feels like it comes back on you. But this felt like one of those games where, you know, as we're recording, we're recording this right after, after the Celtics and Hornets matinee on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, 130 to 118. Celtics beat the Hornets. We'll get into a morning box score in a minute where Jason Tatum just went in fuego. Uh, but it's really cool, by the way. So before we get into that morning box score, I just want to talk about I really like how this day lines up for the NBA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we put it out on Twitter. We pushed back our recording day because there was this, this matinee, which is 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central for your boys out here in Austin, Texas. We we're trying to figure out the right way to to do a podcast. But I love that it's just a day that is fully dedicated to from you know from lunchtime all the way through the evening, just basketball stacked on top of basketball. And the way the Celtics and Horns kicked it off today is one hell of a way to start off the day. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to uh, just spend the rest of the day sitting on the couch, and then we got the Monday night football game tonight. Tom Brady back on the field against the Cowboys. That should be a fun little matchup. Great football this past weekend as well. Yeah. So it's been a great sports weekend. It's nice to just have the day off, be able to watch this game from home, and uh, see Tatum do his thing. Man, it was it was a lot of fun watching him because you're starting to see Tatum. Like every time I think he's reached the peak of what he can do for this season, he just continues to get either more consistent with his passing, more consistent with his screening. His screening is becoming a problem for the rest of the league right now. His relocation off of screens, uh, everything that he was doing today is everything that is going to take Tatum to that next level because he's pretty much maxed out like what he what his skill set was over the first four to five years in the league. Like he had to develop a, a whole nother part of his game and we're seeing it this year. So excited to talk about Tatum, excited to talk about this game. And that's, and that's what greatness is, right? Finding ways to continually improve upon what feels like could be a finished product, but it's not the best finished product. It continues to grow and evolve. But with that, let's go ahead and let's get into this. Let's stop beating around the bush here. Let's queue up a morning box score. Celtics extend to a seven-game win streak, beating the Charlotte Hornets 130-118. to For the Hornets, LaMelo Ball had 25 points, five rebounds, six assists. Jalen McDaniels, 26 points on five of seven from three. And Mason Plumlee added 19 points and 12 rebounds. But the story of the day, the story of the last couple games against the Hornets, the MVP chance that were going off inside the Spectrum Center. Jason Tatum goes off for 51 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 7 of 12 on threes, 14 of 14 from the free throw line. His 7th 40-plus point game of the season, his 5th 50-point game of his career, making him the Celtics' all-time leader in 50-point games. Pretty impressive. 
pretty immaculate to think about that being a stat for a guy who's 24 years old that he's the franchise leader for the boston celtics Derek white also chipped in 19 points and eight assists malcolm brogdon continued his hot streak 16 points and four rebounds but there's just no doubt about it greg you've already started to touch on you know the greatness that jason tatum was today and i think for me what what really stood out and i i you know similarly you talked about man i feel like tatum could go for 50 today is it just felt like child's play early on Mm -hmm. for jason tatum it just felt like there's no one even close i mean the hornets are a bottom five team in the league we know this you know of course they're not going to be able to match up to the skill level that the celtics have and specifically jason tatum who's an mvp candidate but it just felt like he was he was just toying around from the very beginning of this game you have for those of you watching on youtube right now you have his shot chart pulled up this felt you know i I mentioned the dirty 30 this is the exact opposite of a dirty 30 this was a casual 50 like this (laughs) this this was very seamless for our guy just to you know just showed up and it, it made it look very very effortless which is another sign of his greatness and just look at like this shot chart right here He's getting to the spots that he feels most comfortable. You know, the Celtics like to start him um, in that bottom left corner uh, so that he can come off to his right side so he can go middle and make decisions going to his right. But, you know, the left side three-pointer, the left wing three that a couple of years ago he started the season with that step back three over Giannis banking it, you know, from the from the left wing. That's his spot. That's his sweet spot. He loves being there. Um, he was absolutely in fuego from three tonight. And when he's able to get to the rim pretty much at will with that spin move that he seems to be perfecting game by game, night by night, that spin move is just unguardable, man. It's getting faster. It's getting more efficient. Guys are just getting left in the dust. Um, So everything that Tatum is doing on the offensive side of the ball is just absolutely beautiful. And he, you know, tonight, I don't know. Did you watch the Celtics broadcast or did you watch the Hornets broadcast? I was watching the Celtics broadcast. Okay, I watched the Hornets broadcast because I just find that their play-by-play guy hilarious because every single play. I forget just, his name, but he's he, it's him and Del Curry, right? And he uh, he he just says he just gets really excited for everything. <laughs> li- literally every shot, he'd be like, "Mark Williams gets a rebound." He's like, "Mark Williams." He's he's the Gus Johnson of the NBA. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's a lot of fun. So I, I watched this uh, this game from their perspective, and to hear them talk about Jason Tatum, they were gushing about him the entire game they're like this guy is a stud like jason tatum ladies and gentlemen this is your mvp like just going on and on about how great jason tatum was and i saw you tweet that out that this was child's play for jt even with a mcdaniels brother on the court and the mcdaniels brothers seem to give tatum a little bit of issues from from game to game just with their length um i thought tatum you know destroyed mcdaniels in every one-on-one matchup and then whenever he felt like he needed to get mcdaniels off of him now he's able to go to the screen actions get switches he has perfected the ability to set a screen and force the switch and get the guy that he wants on him so he got Lamelo on him a bunch of times i uh, get dennis mcjr on him a, a bunch of times Plumley in a pick and roll, like good luck, Garden Tatum coming full speed at you with his um hit that little right to left spin back to his right. He missed the layup tonight, but he has that like every time he wants it now. Man, Jason Tatum is just he's just really good. It's the man. versatility to his game, right? You know, you talked about the way that he screens, and it's also the way he operates with different players on the court for the Celtics. We've talked about the bench unit being kind of, you know, a weapon, especially early in the season for the team. And obviously Tatum was anchoring that with four bench players. You see, you know, he talked about a couple weeks ago 
you know, as long as Rob's out there, I want to be out there. I love playing with Rob Williams. You saw a little bit of two-man game that they had going. You saw some of the assists that Jason Tatum had on the lobs to Rob Williams. You see how he plays off him with Marcus Smart. You talked about some of their screen game or how, you know, Tatum could give him the ball back, re, you know, refine his spot, get the ball back from Marcus. And so I, I think it's just, it's, you know, it's really incredible to watch how Jason Tatum, like you said, to start the podcast, you know, he hit a certain level over the last year or two. And then to watch him transform this year to continue to find new ways to impress new ways to score new ways to contribute. And, you know, we're obviously highlighting his, you know, the offensive end of the ball aside for him right now, but it's, it's all across his game that he's been doing this more and more in different capacities. And so today on a game in which, you know, this absolutely had written all over Celtics are about to come home. Uh, they got a big matchup coming against the golden state warriors. This had trap game matinee. This had coming out lackluster. OKC thunder part two this had that type of game written all over it and very well could have been but jason tatum was not going to have that today and you know he was he was just spectacular i don't know how many more ways that we can describe how impressive it was his performance today against the hornets but you know what play really stands out to me i I think it was a two-point game when the hornets made their little run and this is late in the game you're talking about right is the third or fourth quarter it was the fourth quarter and dennis smith jr was covering tatum he picked up tatum around half court we were in the bonus tatum just swings through gets the foul on smith jr goes to the line for a couple easy easy shots the ability to get to the free throw line just like playing through contact but also understanding time and score anytime he needs to get to the line when we're in the bonus and guys are pressing up on tatum he now has that little chris paul rip through that you know, doesn't get you two shots if it's if you're not in the bonus, but once you're in the bonus, mm-hmm. you get to the free throw line. And as you said earlier, he was 14 for 14 from the line. And that's how you get to those 50-point games. You know, there are so many times early in his career that we've talked about on recent pods of late where are just like, remember when Tatum just couldn't score 30 points in a game? And a lot of times it was because he yeah, just didn't get throws. to the free throw line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And tonight, 14 for 14 from the line. I think it's three straight games now without a miss uh, from the free throw line. So something like 25 or 25 over the last like three games or something like that from the line. When there was a little bit of concern about Tatum, you know, bricking some free throws of late, he seemed to have recommitted his focus on the free throw line and now he's dropping 50 point games and going into the warriors game this is huge man this is really really big for him to to have this momentum because he didn't play well in the finals and he didn't play well the last time we faced the warriors and they do have their full complement of players back andrew wiggins will be there so he you know he wants to show off uh in, in on national television again where the celtics are we'll call today national television uh we'll, we'll call them 10 and 1 <laughs> in national tv games yeah i thought i thought we made a rule we're not counting nba tv but, but it's mlk day you know it's mlk day okay we'll make we'll make an exception for that uh, but yeah, on that Warriors note, we'll have a full preview podcast going up Thursday morning to break down everything Celtics and Golden State. But kind of zooming out because we we could keep talking about we could literally turn this entire podcast into Jason Tatum. Um, but kind of zooming out, the Celtics are now on a seven game win streak. Uh, started in that Dallas game and now has made its way through Charlotte after this last couple on the road beating Brooklyn and then this back to back with Charlotte. You know, it, it it felt like it wasn't all that long ago that we were like, should we have some concern and now all of a sudden you look up and you take a look at the standings and the Celtics are starting to put a little bit of distance between themselves in the east right now Celtics are 33 and 12 
They are four and a half games. Obviously, uh, as we're recording, there's several more games that are be played today, so this might change a little bit by the time you hear this. But they're now four and a half games ahead of the Brooklyn Nets, who are without KD, who the Celtics beat a couple days ago. And that's going to be an interesting experiment to see how they stay afloat without KD for at least you know, looking like they lost like three to the Thunder. Four weeks, lost to the lost Thunder, to the thunder you know, I mean, in the game against the Celtics. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. What was your thoughts on the whole Ben Simmons of it all when it comes to that <laughs> Celtics game? Because, you know, he had some plays when he's in transition. That guy is electric. He is one of the best transition passers. But he just, I mean, he had another Trey Young moment where he passed the ball when he had a dunk. So, I, like, what are your just thoughts on, on Ben Simmons? Because that was talked about a lot in different NBA circles over the last couple of days. Well, I thought Simmons played a great first half. You know, when they cut to uh, the halftime studio show, they were kind of split. Charles and Shaq were just, like, kind of railing on Simmons. Like, Simmons, you got to be able to score the ball. you got to score the ball. If you want to be on the court, you got to score the ball. Kenny Smith was talking about, you know, he has, you know, 10 assists at halftime. He's completely controlled the pace of the game. And I agreed with Kenny for the first three quarters of the game. I thought Ben Simmons played great. You know, his defense on Tatum, I thought was physical. Um, He looked like Ben Simmons defensive player of the year candidate. I thought he gave Tatum a bunch of trouble. The refs obviously allowed him and Royce O'Neal to just manhandle Tatum on the perimeter. But, you know, if they're going to allow it, I thought, I think uh, Simmons showed that he does have the athleticism back, which is when the first time we saw him earlier in the year, like his first couple games back, he just didn't have that anymore. So he's got the the speed of the game back. But when you get to the fourth quarter, you have to be able to be a threat on the court. There's that crazy stat out there that he's made one free throw since like the (laughs) middle of November. How is that? How is that a real stat? So if you're looking at the Brooklyn Nets, obviously with out KD for the next month or so, I would imagine they're going to free fall down those uh, down the standings, probably somewhere around the six to seven seed back into that play in range. Yeah. The heat are playing better basketball Mm -hmm. right now. The Knicks, you know, they've been hot for a while. The Cavs, obviously, I think the top five in the East right now is probably going to stay the top five. The, the order of that might change outside of the nets. Right. So I think the, the Knicks or the heat will probably slide into the five spot. Um, and then the Nets Knicks are also play. playing some good basketball right now. Knicks, they are. Knicks, they Knicks are looking great. Brunson and Randall, I think, are both. I mean, it's going to feel weird, but I think they're both probably going to be all stars. Like, that's how good that team's looking. Like you said, the Heat are coming on. The Pacers lost Halliburton, so that's really going to hurt them. I don't know what the, the timeline is on that yet. So I think you're right. Probably somewhere around that six or seven is where you could see the Nets falling. But, you know, the Bucks they've had their ups and downs. Chris Middleton's still a big question mark. You know, he's, he's missed 15 straight games now. Came back for a handful of games, missed another 15. Philadelphia, you know, they're 27 and 16. They're, Maxi just came back a few games ago. They're working him back in. Cleveland, 27 and 17. And then, like, so, I, I mean, right now, this is kind of primed as a, a part of the season where – I mean, the Celtics are already on a seven-game win streak, so it's, mm-hmm. I'm not, it's hard to say, hey, turn it up a notch and you know go for extending that lead. But this is really a time where the Celtics can take advantage of some of these other teams going through issues and put a real sizable gap and give them some breathing room, you know, as we go towards the second half of the season here and continue to you know go beyond just a four and a half, five-game lead. But it is nice to see the Celtics putting that distance between them and the rest of the East so far. Uh, so with that, let's take a look at the week ahead. Actually, let's, let's go back. and I want to talk about just a few more things here during the seven-game win streak for the Celtics. Uh, you know, one of the guys that I wanted to highlight that really showed up actually in the first Charlotte game, had a good game today, is Malcolm Brogdon. 
I think Brogdon has been tremendous in this seven-game stretch for the Celtics. He's been shooting the hell out of the ball, shot the hell out of the ball in the first half today against Charlotte. Uh, I think after that eye injury, you know, slowed him up a little bit, and also Tatum had it going on. So why are you going to take the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands? Uh, and so I think in the seven-game win streak, especially with Jalen Brown being out, which we'll talk a little bit more about here in a minute, because obviously the last time we came on, we were raving about the 40-plus point performance of Jalen Brown. Quick pivot, we're talking about Jason Tatum's 50-plus point game. It's a really, really nice world that we live in uh, right now. But, you know, what have you seen out of Malcolm Brogdon in these last seven games? And when we went to the game in San Antonio, you know, I mentioned to you, he's got a little got a little, little confidence to a little, mm-hmm. little sauce to him right now. And you're really seeing that play out over this last stretch. Yeah, he's he's back to playing at the speed we were accustomed to seeing him play at the beginning of the year when we all got so excited. Whenever Brogdon would touch the ball, he was just a blur down the court. And he did have a hamstring issue about a month back. So I'm wondering if part of it was just he was thinking about that hamstring. Now he's got the confidence back in the hamstring. But honestly, a lot of it just seems to me the the three-point ball is going in. And they're allowing him to play more in in pick and roll, getting him off of some boomerang actions. So boomerang actions, when you pass the ball to the wing, like when you have a live dribble, but you don't have an advantage, pass the ball to the wing, get the ball right back so you can, you know, go, go off a triple threat and um, attack downhill. And I think Brogdon's doing a great job at that relocations off of screens. He's been great at that. Um, but when you look at the numbers here, the three point shot, when he's, Back-to-back games, hitting four three-pointers. That's four games in a row with multiple three-pointers. He's just been on fire from distance. And that's one of those things. You know, when the three-point shot is not going for you as an individual player and also as a team, sometimes it can feel worse than it actually is. And sometimes when the shot's going in, it can feel better than it actually is. But with Brogdon, the fact that he's doing this the moment Jalen Brown goes down that's exactly why you sign, you trade for a Malcolm Brogdon is because Malcolm Brogdon is better than a number three option on most teams. Malcolm Brogdon is probably in that 2B, 2C category. We're talking about Seth Partnow's tiers. This is why we always used to have those conversations about Smart versus Brogdon, who's the better player, so on and so forth, when Brogdon wasn't on the Celtics. But now that he is, yeah, why such, a, yeah such what? a luxury to have him. I don't know why we didn't think about that in those discussions. Hey, 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 instead of choosing, why don't we just have both? Yeah. And then and then sprinkling a little bit of Derek White who can go for 19 points and eight assists while we're at it. You know, that that the trio that the Celtics have is just an absolute blessing. And I think this is actually a great time for us. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hit, you know, Jalen Brown will be out with a hip adductor for at least another week or so. We're not quite sure exactly, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what that has meant and what that will mean over this next stretch for the Celtics. All right, Greg. So as we talked about, Golden State is coming in to Boston on Thursday night for a rematch of the finals rematch, uh, (laughs) which is going to be a big national TV game on Thursday night, followed by the Raptors over the weekend and then into next week with Orlando and Miami on the road. That's a tough little three game stretch right there on the road for the Celtics. And most likely all of that is going to be done without Jalen Brown, just at just as the last three road games against Brooklyn, the two against Charlotte, were so you know Jalen Brown goes nuts against New Orleans Pelicans. We come on here gushing about it. He kind of mentions it in his post game interview to Abby Chin that he felt a little bit of something. Comes out basically the next day that he's not going to play in the Brooklyn game and he's probably out about a week to two weeks. Um, 
you know, so far, let, let's start here. Three games without Jalen Brown. What differences have you noticed either about the way the team is playing or any of Joe Missoula's rotations? You take it where you will, and then we'll look ahead after that. Well, it's interesting because the the Brooklyn game felt like a playoff atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole attention of the Brooklyn Nets was on stopping Jason Tatum. And it looked like Tatum was pretty tired in that game. He didn't have his best game, right? So the initial thought is, oh, life without Jalen Brown isn't, you know, going to be as easy for Jason Tatum as some people might think. You know, he Tatum, like, Brown goes down, Tatum just steps up and plays like he played today, right? The Nets were so singularly focused on not allowing Jason Tatum to beat them. They wanted other guys on the Celtics to beat them. So it was a little bit of a struggle. Then you go up against a team like Charlotte that's down some of their best players. Oubre is probably getting the prime assignment along with McDaniels on on Tatum in most games, right? Gordon Hayward not playing. They uh, Clifford kind of his... I was I was listening to the the Hornets uh, broadcast and they're like he doesn't like double teaming guys right so mm-hmm. Jason Tatum when he has the ball against the Hornets he has a lot more space to cook they trust that their their defense their McDaniel's is of the world are going to be able to slow him down just does doesn't work against MVP caliber players right especially when you're down some of those guys so we have two polar opposites here we have one team that was focused on getting the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands another team that was like you know what. If Jason Tatum beats us, Jason Tatum beats us. They did go to zone a couple times. They did uh, early trap him out at half court a couple times when they realized he was completely on fire. But now we go up against the Golden State Warriors that are going to be singularly focused on stopping Jason Tatum. The Toronto Raptors that have all of those uh, rangy wing defenders that can stop a Jason Tatum. Tatum does a good job distributing against the Raptors historically. Raptors struggling right now. Then you go up against the Orlando Magic that also have a very long team you know, that could pose problems for the Celtics, Sans, Jalen Brown, and then obviously the Miami Heat that are going to be physical and up in Tatum's grill. So this is a lot to ask Jason Tatum to do what he just did against the Hornets to do for the next four games. So if Jalen Brown is going to be out, the other guys need to step up big time. And if it's continuing to be Brogdon, white, smart, I think the guy that's going to be biggest for me that I'm looking forward to, you know, I always say this against teams like the, uh, like the Raptors and the heat is Robert Williams. Mm -hmm. Robert Williams has to step up and play better um, than he's played, even though I think he's played well of late. Yeah, there's just going to be more responsibility on his shoulders in those games to be the difference maker, to be the impactor that he can be. I I think for me, looking at these last three games and looking ahead, it's, you know, one of the things that when it comes to, you know, the end game, the playoffs is you always need to have versatility. And I think for this team, we've been trying to figure out, especially as the trade deadline is coming up, you know, is there anywhere that this team can add or, or, or what what do they need to do, if anything? And I think when it comes to depth, the one area that always kind of stands out is that second line of defense from, you know, from a wing standpoint. Obviously, the Jays are going to take the majority of that. But if one of them is in foul trouble, is, you know, maybe injured for part of a series and they're out for a game or two, what happens next? And I think right now this is a really, you know, obviously it doesn't seem like Jalen's injury is super serious. So it actually is. In a, in a weird way, a silver lining to this injury that you get a real-time chance to experiment 
all right, what do these three guard lineups look like with some com- with with you know some combination of maybe getting Peyton Pritchard some more run, putting in Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, and Marcus Smart. Right now, I just looking at their their minute splits from this game in Charlotte. You know, Brogdon plays twenty eight, Smart plays basically thirty one, Derek White just over thirty minutes, and so you see the different ways in which it feels like they're trying to play up with their guards to replace some of those Jalen Brown minutes. Be honest, not a great look for our guy, Shotgun Sam, playing a little bit more like Squirt Gun Sam over the last month plus or so. Um, <laughs> you oh, know, it, it's been it's been a tough run for my guy. I can't I can't even give him a click clack. You know, it just it just hasn't been there. And so to see the way that the Celtics are trying to to backfill the Jalen Brown minutes with you know more three guard lineups. I think that's been really interesting and it's something that we saw I think briefly even in the in the preseason where we had you know the the Jays plus the three guards out there's like ooh this is interesting and that was kind of just an experiment but I I think when you see the way that White Smart and Brogdon can all play that combo guard role they can all guard up to varying degrees I think this is a really interesting experiment and like you mentioned Brooklyn the, you know especially without KD uh it, it's it, it was a little bit I mean, it was a playoff atmosphere, but that's not their full team. Charlotte, they're one of the worst teams in the league. You're going to be able to get by. I really am curious to see what happens in this Golden State game with these different lineups and how they either survive or don't survive in this type of matchup against what what you have to view as, you know, a title potential matchup for this upcoming season. Yeah, so life without JB has been interesting with those lineups for sure. The one lineup that made its, uh, you know, popped its head above water in the two games in Charlotte, Pritchard, Brogdon, Grant, Hauser, and Cornette. So like no starters on the court, a lot of Brogdon, the first game against the Hornets, he carried the squad in those minutes. Um, Grant, you know, he's flashing more playmaking genes of late, especially without JB. It looks like he's trying to create for others, also looking to score a little bit more. A lot lot of pump fakes. Yeah, I love that. I love that one tweet you put out. You're like, I feel like the Celtics like setting a record for number of pump fakes. There were so many, and part of it was just you know because the Hornets were were flying at them. They were flying left and right at him. There was that one play where it was uh, JT and Rob, and I think he pumped fake Jaden McDaniels three different times in one mm-hmm. play. And so I understood it, but it was just, it was just it was like, man, I feel like every single possession we're getting a pump fake. And to your point, you know, Grant Williams was getting a lot of those in the corner and then driving those closeouts to some mix, mixed results today. I think he had obviously some great pass. I think he had nine, he had six assists in the game today. So he definitely had some some good results to go along with, with some of that mix. But yeah, I think for, you know, just keeping on your, your Grant Williams point, he's showing a lot more development to his game. Yeah, six assists from Grant is huge. But then the the nine rebounds out of Grant, uh, five offensive rebounds. That's one of those things. Do you remember uh, Danny Fortson from back in the day? Will yeah, yeah so like the Nuggets and play for the Celtics for a yeah, yeah, like Grant Williams is in the Danny Fortson, like Craig Smith mold of yep. like type My of forward. Guy. Oh, Craig Smith, Boston <laughs> College legend. <laughs> I knew you'd like the Craig Smith reference. Yeah. But with Grant, you know, the 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 level of development that we're seeing out of Grant. Now, he's becoming a little too reliant on that pump fake. I think he's starting to find the ba- the balance between letting that thing go, pumping and going and creating for others. But I think with Grant, you know, although he was three for 12 um, from the field tonight, I thought he played a great game, man. He, he was probably 0 for 4, 0 for 5 on floaters. And I think that's yeah. something 
where he's trying to figure that shot out. You know, he's going to have some games in which the floater doesn't look good because it's a tough shot. It's a it's a touch yeah. shot. I and mean, Grant- it's something he said he's worked on in the offseason. I know he had an interview, I think, with Jack Simone back uh, maybe in the offseason where that was something they said was a major emphasis. And also with Charlotte, this is Grant's homecoming, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine this is probably also a location where Grant puts a lot of pressure on himself to play well. And so not that he wanted to show off because he still had, I think, a great game but it does weigh on you a little bit more when you're trying to make something happen. Yeah. And I mean, let's just look at his last, what last five games here. A couple of, he has six assists, three assists, one assist, four assists, one assist. I I think like the idea that Grant is getting multiple games in a five game stretch in which he has multiple assists speaks to the level that the entire team is sharing the ball Mm -hmm. and to his own playmaking skills. I'm loving seeing Grant. He's starting to throw lobs off of those baseline drives. He had a nice one to Cornette tonight. Yeah, that was really pretty. By the way, I I do want to talk a little bit about Cornette because I think he's starting to make a case to especially in certain matchups, Luke Cornett should be on the on the court. And I don't know that we necessarily need to make a move for a big because Luke Cornett at 7'2, the the ability to be big, he blocked Lamelo, I think, four times over the last two games. Mm-hmm. Um, his ability to finish around the rim and just be smart and big on both sides of the court. I don't think we need to make a move for another big. I know that's something we've kind of floated around on this pod. Maybe somebody off the scrap heap, but I don't know that there's anybody out there that's going to be able to do better than what Luke has done. And if you continue to give Luke those reps where you're sliding Horford down to the four a little bit more, Grant down to the three a little bit more, I think there's room for Cornette to play. And it was interesting of Pritchard, Hauser, and Cornette, the guy who end up might be uh, being part of the rotation might end up being Luke Cornette. I know that would right. That That is not something that I think we could have predicted you know, certainly before the season. And then even at the beginning of the season, as it goes on, it was like, all right, he's just a placeholder. And, you know, he's he's having some real impactful minutes. And I think I'm with you that, you know, and, and I think the Celtics are going to be very quiet at the trade deadline. I just, I, th- the more I look at it, I can't find salaries, players that make sense to to go ahead. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean the Celtics aren't going to have their ears to the ground. So I was thinking about this the other day, right? You know, Maybe they can be that facilitator. Maybe they could be the Colby Altman in the way that they just ended up with Jared Allen almost by mistake. You know, so you don't want to say that there's never a chance that they're going to do something. But when you look at just a one-on-one trade proposal, and this is where I know you've been big on really trying to find ways to get Peyton Pritchett more minutes. You know, if you if you're going to feel comfortable with Luke, and so far it feels like you know Joe Missoula is giving Luke the stamp of approval. Like, hey, Rob and Al are both playing today. Doesn't mean you're not playing. You're still getting minutes. You're still going to get 10, 11 minutes. You're going to be important. You're going to have a chance to impact this game that maybe you take that off your to-do list. And then at this point, like I was saying, as with Jalen Brown being out, this is a little bit of the silver lining of, all right, how how much of an issue could this wing depth be? Or is it just you know the fact that we have four really good guards, three of which can play kind of that combo position. Marcus Smart, you know, big ball one. We talk about, you know, the way that he can guard up. Derek White can guard up to a certain level. Same with Brogdon. He's a thicker guy. They can kind of, you know, guard a little bit more of those guys in the wing up to a certain point. You know, maybe this is just a team that you roll with and there isn't a move to be made or as they go up against the Warriors, you know, a Raptors team that's very long, Orlando, same thing, very long, very tall team, Miami, a playoff team. Maybe over these next couple of games, your opinion will change. But through three games, 
right now, this is feeling more like the argument for, hey, how do we make sure that we keep Pritchard and Cornette, you know, in the rotations that they're still feeling they have a rhythm, that maybe that's the way to go as opposed to trying to make a move because it's it's just going to be really, really difficult to do. And I would think that they'd probably lean into more the Pritchard and Cornette getting more consistent minutes to have them in rhythm rather than actually making a trade to go get somebody who realistically, I don't know where they're going to fit in playing time-wise. Yeah, Cornette, so over the last four games, he's averaging 14 minutes per game over those last four. Um, In the last three without JB, he hasn't missed a shot. Five for five in the Brooklyn game, one for one in the first Charlotte game, two for two in the second Charlotte game uh, earlier today. And then if you look at those blocks, so he had three blocks. All of them were on LaMelo over the last uh, two games. And LaMelo's not an easy guy to, to stop at the rim, very crafty. But I mean, if you if you're just asking your third center, like what do you want out of your third center? I can't imagine you're going to get more than what Luke has given you over these last four. He's been solid in all the minutes that he's played. He's had a couple of bad games, but he's Luke Cornett. You know, he's not going to be great every night. But if you can, you know, expect Luke to give you seven to ten minutes per game while one of so either at the five while Horford and Rob are both out. Or if you want to slide Horford down to the four, as we've seen over the last couple of games, I think having Luke on the court, Scal's big on this, having Al at the four. Scal loves yeah. the idea of having Al at the four. I love the idea of having more size on the court whenever possible. Because when you go up against, like think about the Bucks series last year, man. Brooke Lopez, he's like, he, he is a really good defender. But like we didn't have anybody that could contend with him in the paint because he's yeah. just so big. He's a freaking brontosaurus down there. And I think Luke is one of those guys that he can at least be big along with the Lopez, right? He can be big. There's along a lot with to just Devon being big. Looney. Yeah, just, just being, being big. big. It's, just, like, it's, just, it's very, very important in the game of basketball. Yeah, and I think this upcoming game against the Warriors, Rob Williams being back, being fully healthy, I'm excited to see that. But also just I want to see if Luke gets any run against this team, you know, because I I felt like in the finals last year, maybe Luke could have given Kevon Looney some issues. It's just like being bigger than other guys on the court. Like Looney just dominated the the offensive glass against us in the finals last year. Maybe if Luke's on the court, some of those rebounds aren't as easy for him to come to. Just because, as you said, it's very important to be big in the game of basketball. Luke Cornett is very big. Yeah, and and you know one of the biggest things on that playoff run last year was just kind of running out of steam. I mean, we talked about it. Ime had to go down to about an eight eight and a half man rotation from January all the way through June, and you know especially when we were in the finals, we kept saying, "Man, e- even though even if they're just a neutral, having guys like Bielitsa on the on the on the Warriors who could give you five ten minutes, that hey, you know what, you're getting a you're getting." three more better minutes out of Draymond Green by having him off the court for a few minutes because Bielitsa can keep it at a neutral. So that when you do bring those guys, you bring your stars back in, they're far more effective. So you look ahead to that, even if it's Luke can play a handful of minutes in the first four or five games of a series, maybe he doesn't touch the court in game six and seven and you're rolling with Rob and Al, but Rob and Al have less mileage on them because Luke Cornett through the end of the season, through the series, has been able to take less pressure off of them so that they can actually perform at a higher rate when needed. And I think that was a big part of the downfall of the Celtics at the, you know, in the in the finals. It just ran out of gas, plain and simple. And so the more guys you have that can contribute, even in small ways that 
seem relatively, you know, insignificant at different times, it's going to impact that bigger picture. And that's what I think we're seeing with Luke Cornett. I think we're seeing that with Peyton Pritchard. And that's probably the reason you don't deal him is that I think he gives you that backup option because, you know, we know Brogdon has an injury history. We know Smart plays so hard that he always gets hurt. We thought Derek White might be out for a little bit. He bounced right back. Obviously had an amazing game today, but it's nice to have that reserve and have those guys that can give your top guys, you know, extra energy when needed, if they can come in and, and not kill you in those minutes that you take them off the court. So, you know, I, I think Luke's making a case. I think Peyton's making a case that this is going to be most likely. Now, obviously, we'll see what happens. But I think most likely this is going to be the team that we get going forward. I don't think the Celtics are going to make anything, any impactful moves that are going to change the core of what this team is between now and the deadline. The only interesting idea I've seen floated out there, and this was actually from um, our guy Bobby Manning, as we as he was watching the game tonight uh, today, he was like, "Man, McDaniel's one point nine expiring deal, about to be a free agent, fits into a TPE. Would you be interested in bringing in? Is it is it's Jalen Jalen McDaniel's? Yeah, yeah. I actually saw the other one down. Jayden, right? I wrote it down for the morning boss. I was like, I'm totally gonna forget which McDaniel's this is, <laughs> so I had to write down Jalen McDaniel's and. You know, I, I like Jalen McDaniels. Every time I've watched him, um, I I've, I think he I think he would bring an excellent I think he'd be an excellent backup wing for the Celtics to have, and that's probably a guy you'd want to target. My question would be because that obviously that one point nine million is nothing. You could do that straight up. You could do it TP. There's a lot of different ways that that you could make that work. Is I would be I mean. It would be hard for me to understand why the Hornets would let him walk. He feels like a guy that could fit into their future. So if you're going to give him up, I would assume that they would do it for nothing less than, you know, some type of at least protected first round pick. I don't know. That's that's where, for me, the questions would start because this feels like a guy at 1.9, even if you keep him and then you want him, you know, if he goes, I don't know if he's an unrestricted free agent or restricted free agent, but in the free agency, you're going to have a good inside line on being able to re-sign him. So that would be the part for me that I think would be difficult to wrap around. I think it's an excellent target, but I just don't know that it would be one that that might work out from the Hornets perspective, unless the Celtics came over the top, which I also don't think they should do. Yeah. He, he's a guy that I've always liked. I like his brother in, uh, in Minnesota, Minnesota as well. Yeah. So, you know, if, if he becomes available as everybody on the Hornets roster, I think probably should be available at this point. Um, I would love to go out and try and target him. We'd probably wouldn't a protected first would probably get it done protected first and like some, some salary if they wanted a player, if, but you know, remember if he is available, there's going to be not just the salt. There'll be many yes. teams that would be interested and that's going to then drive up the price. Cause you know, this has been a big topic on a, a lot of different podcasts right now. There's, there's not a lot of sellers. Like the Hornets are one of five teams that are 100% committed to the Wemby sweepstakes, right? Everybody else, there's a handful, like the Wizards that are kind of in the middle, like where do we go? What do we do? OKC is making a run at the play-in right now. Maybe they go all in. Maybe they fall back. You know, there's there's just not a lot of teams that are going to sell. So all these guys that are going to want wings, shooting, defense, they're going to say, oh, that guy's $1.9 million? maybe that's who they go in for. So I think that's the part that would make it tough is that if he's actually available and if the Hornets do their homework, they could they could probably start a bidding war and, and get more than what you would expect for a guy like that. Okay, so if it's um, a f- protected first, so say top 15 protected first for the Celtics and mm-hmm. Peyton Pritchard, would you do it? Hmm. 
Yeah, I probably would, to be honest. I mean, I think, I, I would too. I, I think really because then at that point, the gamble just becomes I'm betting my my three guards are going to be healthy and they're going to get the majority of the minutes. And I think, you know, if you bring in McDaniels, that gives you more opportunities to maybe get a few extra minutes on the J side of things mm-hmm. where you can give them a few extra minutes early in a, in a series so that by the end they're playing 42 minutes in a game six game seven or maybe even more yeah and and also just like hey jason tatum you don't have to go all out on both ends of the court tonight mcdaniel's got you like you you can chill a little bit on the defensive end tonight same thing with jalen brown um they they just need to be able to conserve a little bit more of that energy mcdaniel's i think is an all defense candidate him and his brother i think both every year are going to be perennial all defense uh, candidates. So I would like to see it. I don't know what it would take to, to make that happen. I never thought about it until I saw Bobby yeah. Manning tweet that out. So just wanted to throw that out there. See, see if you had any interest. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the rosters that, that you'll have to look to if you're looking to see where players are going to be available. So I think that's an excellent target. Um, I would just be curious to see what type of bidding war they could drum up for that because his contract is so friendly. Uh, that would be definitely an interesting pursuit for a lot of teams. Uh, before we transition to our vibe check here, I wanted to get your your thoughts. We come across LaMelo handful of times a year. Uh, in my opinion, a real up and down two games for him. Some moments where you're like, damn, okay, LaMelo's kind of special. Other times where it's like, I'm not really sure what LaMelo was thinking on that 40-foot jump shot, but okay. I guess that's what you wanted to do with 18 seconds left. But what was your walk-away impressions of uh, of LaMelo Ball over the last two games? Well, I thought the first game he played a lot better than the second game. I think partially that's because the Celtics saw what he did in the first game where he kind of controlled the pace for the first half and seemed to have a good finger on the pulse of what his team needed in the first game. You know, I'm not a big LaMelo guy. I've seen mm-hmm. him have dominant games. There's one game against the Celtics a couple of years ago where he, he was the best player on the court. Uh, and I think the Celtics took that to heart in the game tonight where it seemed like they came out and they were like, we're not going to let, we're not going to let LaMelo do his thing tonight. And from the very beginning of the game, it looked like they were in his head. Tatum took it to him anytime that LaMelo got switched on to him. LaMelo didn't play much defense tonight, had five fouls. My favorite LaMelo thing over the last couple of games, the lone MVP chance whenever he was <laughs> the at the one free guy. Throw line, the one guy, which I was like, is that LeVar? Is that yeah. LeVar? And, <laughs> in the and then Tatum goes to the line and you can audibly hear, you know, far more people. And there's just one isolated guy in the crowd. Uh, it's so for funny LaMelo. hearing that though. Cause like everybody else is like, who's like, why is this guy yelling MVP? Not one person joined the MVP <laughs> for LaMelo as they should not. Right. Yeah. I mean, pretty he, ridiculous. He's, yeah. He's not anywhere near that conversation. The Hornets stink. Um, but I really want to know who that was and whether or not it was LeVar. Let me throw this at you. LaMelo Ball, tall Trey Young. Um, I think in that they're very polarizing figures. <laughs> yes, I think that LaMelo probably shouldn't be in the same conversation with Trey at this point, I think Trey's accomplished a lot more in his career, but in terms of just as a comparison, I'm not saying they're yeah. the same thing, just as a, as a comparison, like how no, 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 yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking it through. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so moving forward, I think like LaMelo definitely has the higher ceiling between mm-hmm. the two of those guys, but like, I personally am not a huge Trey young guy. I'm not a huge LaMelo. No one on this podcast is. (laughs) So I think you overall, I think that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. uh, It it just, I mean, they're both super talented. I just think when, when push comes to shove, as you have those, you know, those discussions, which guy would you take? I just think both are kind of hard to build a winner around. I would, 
LaMelo's size makes me feel like if someone can just convince him to buy in on the defensive end, that would be what I would choose. Cause we just talked about with Luke Cornett size just matters. It just matters how big you are. And so, you know, I'd, I'd maybe lean LaMelo, but I don't know. That's not fair to Trey young, but I was just, I was just curious to get your thoughts on. Well, I, I, it's weird because when you watch LaMelo play, he's just like jacking these 30 footers that go in sometimes, but yeah. for the most part, aren't good shots. And they're like early in the shot clock threes with no passes. Right. So that's the thing is I think LaMelo probably if you're building a team around him, he needs a coach in a roster that's going to hold him accountable to take good shots because he's he's developing a lot of bad habits right now. I think Trey doesn't have quite as many bad offensive habits. He You can build a pretty good offense around a Trey Young pick and roll. I don't know how far that's going to take you in the playoffs, but in terms of a regular season 82-game schedule, I think you can get some great offense as the Hawks have had over the past couple of years. They get rid of Herter. Uh, Bogdanovich was hurt for a lot of this year, so they don't have the shooting that you need around a Trey Young pick and roll offense, right? So I, I, I think this year with Trey is probably going to be um, like the nadir of the Trey Young experience in Atlanta, I would imagine that he's gonna like rise to to probably more career levels with his shot. I think mm-hmm. if they trade him, he hopefully he ends up in a situation where he develops his own good habits and that he has a coach that and and a GM that puts the correct roster around him. And with Lamelo, he just needs a coach that's gonna hold him accountable. Yeah, we'll see if Steve Clifford's that guy. Which, by the way, have you, have you ever watched that '70s show? Uh, do you think he looks like red? Yeah. 100% where I was going. <laughs> yeah. I, at one point in the game, I was like, yeah, Steve Clifford looks a lot like red Foreman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see great. if that's the way to go. Uh, Wemby, I do think would be an interesting fit there, but we'll see. That's a conversation for a different day with that. Let's do what we always do here on a Monday here on a late on a Monday afternoon for us recording here. Let's do a vibe check. All right, Greg. I'm gonna I'm gonna go first this week with our our vibe check here. It's been dominating a lot of our conversation today. We've talked about Jalen Brown, obviously. We talked about Kevin Durant, Tyrese Halliburton's out for a little bit, but most importantly, injuries are consuming us all, everywhere, all at once, and specifically on this podcast. Yes. Over the weekend, your boys here finally got back on the court with the Green with Envy squad, gearing up for season two, back to back championships coming in the mix. And fortunately, day one, training camp, <laughs> both your boys go down with shoulder injuries, probably no more than 20 minutes apart. Mm. So I wanted to check in, man. How's, how's your shoulder injury doing this doing today? Well, I don't want to give my whole medical history, but long story short, listeners, I have a very bad shoulder. Um, torn rotator cuff, torn labor in my left shoulder. My right shoulder got the same injury, had surgery on it back in college. So it pops out a lot. Um <laughs> When it pops out, I know doing various activities, leisurely activities, more strenuous activities. Yeah. But basically, I don't know for Celtics fans, you probably remember Kendrick Perkins always holding his shoulder. There would be like certain plays where Perkins would just like grab at his shoulder. It's because he had a torn labrum and his shoulder, he it would what's called a subluxation, where the 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 ball in the ball and socket joint in your shoulder goes in and out of the socket really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's a very alarming feeling and it hurts. 
um, because your shoulder is dislocating for a brief moment in time. Um, so I had a borderline full dislocation yesterday, which was difficult for me. Um, I was able to pop it back in very sore. I was in a sling for the last 48 hours, not in a sling right now. Um, but I should be back hopefully in a couple weeks. How about you, man? I know this is, I feel like this has been popping up a little bit more for you of late shoulder injuries. Um, I mean, usually when it comes to basketball, ankles are usually my my biggest my biggest worry, which is why I go double ankle braces when we play. But didn't you hurt your shoulder like I don't know within the last year? I feel like I remember you like grabbing at your grabbing at your shoulder at one mm, point, and maybe it's your neck. I mean, as you get older, just random things hurt just from like bad posture yeah. or yeah. just like you know getting in and out of a car the wrong way. I don't know. There's just like random stuff <laughs> where it's like where it's like I don't know, man. I, I I was totally fine, and then all of a sudden I went to sleep and I woke up and everything hurt. And I have no idea what happened. So, you know, at least it's one I can explain. This is at least it's one I know when it happened, how it happened. And, uh, you know, as a guy who's had a ton of shoulder injuries for yourself, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that I'm, I'm going to be fine here. It's, I think it's, I don't, I don't even know what to like call it because it is kind of like that rotator area. So definitely not coming, coming out of the socks bullpen anytime soon to, to make any, you know, to make any pitching changes here. But, you know, it's the most frustrating part is that it just interrupts like very, very mundane daily task that all of mm -hmm. a sudden it's like, oh, I can only do this if I go extremely slow and deliberate to pick up my coffee so that I don't feel that jolt of pain. Because if I forget and I just go reaching for my coffee, it's like, oh, ow, okay, that mm -hmm. that that you feel yeah. right there. And so, uh, you know, probably the worst part of my day is, uh, you know, waking up in the morning, putting on a shirt, taking my shirt off, take a shower. Those are those are probably the toughest moments over the last couple of days here. So really, my vibe check is just about the inconvenience, specifically of a shoulder injury, man. I don't know how you do it. Well, I was uh, holding hands with my girlfriend, Danielle, uh, last night, you know, just like being sweet, uh -huh. watch, watching, I forget, watching Seinfeld, get ready for Seinfeld trivia. So romantic. So like my, she's right next to me, she's holding my hand and she decides she's going to take my hand to scratch her face. I think that's what she was going for. She was going to use my fingers to scratch her face. So she grabs my bad shoulder and just like yanks my hand forward. And I was like, ah, <laughs> like, like I was just shot. And she's yeah. like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was like, no, it's okay. Like just, you know, use your own hand to scratch. Your face <laughs> but yeah, man, shoulder injuries stink. Um, for, for my vibe check, I'm vibing with, not vibing um, against homemade sandwiches. Homemade sandwiches. I haven't had a sandwich in a while, just like a typical cold cut sandwich with like some nice French bread. Um, Danielle's been making homemade mayo of late because okay. apparently mayo doesn't last as long as you think it would last in the fridge. I think like, mayo is one of those condiments that you always like everyone has like you buy one mayo jar a year. It feels exactly. Like. And it's, it's just always there. And like, you, I don't know. It just feels like that's never something that's reoccurring on the grocery list. Exactly. Right. So like, that's kind of what my thought was. And then we looked up like our mayo was expired by like four months and we had been eating it. So we, we were like, we should probably throw this away. None, neither of us got sick from it, but we threw it away and we looked up how to make your own homemade mayo. Look it up. It's pretty easy to make. Um, so homemade mayo. And then I am huge on putting this on a sandwich. I don't know how you feel about these bad boys here, but the, the Vietnam garlic, garlic chili sauce. Mm -hmm. Ooh, baby so you put that homemade mayo with this chili sauce a little bit of relish provolone cheese choose your deli meat i was going with like more italian sub style so some turkey some ham some salami um and just making those sandwiches at home versus going out and like ordering a sandwich from a sub shop 
if you have the right ingredients, I feel like you can make a sandwich from home that's just as good as something you get from a deli. Oh, you're talking to the lunch king over here. You know, when we used to live together, our guy Ted would always make fun of me because some nights I'd just be like, you know what? I just want, you know, it might not, it might not be lunchtime. It might be dinner time. I'm like, you know, I just want a sandwich and chips. I fucking yeah. love that. I absolutely oh, little, love little that. hand pickle? Little hand pickle. Little hand pickle <laughs> on the side. Toast the bread a little bit. Sometimes you put a little butter on the toast too so you get it nice and crispy and golden. Um, yeah, I'm totally with you. I've never tried the chili garlic sauce. Now, I will say that is, I have used that before. I use that sometimes when I'm trying to, you know, quote unquote, get creative with like a little bit of like chicken and rice, maybe cut up a few veggies and like mm-hmm. throw that into the, into the, uh, into the pan a little bit, get a little bit of extra kick. Uh, I've used it for that or just some recipes that like we've, we've looked up before when trying to, you know, change up whatever we're making for dinner um and the chili garlic sauce i like the i always i always find myself looking up different like asian recipes and they a lot of them have chili garlic sauce in it so i have used that before but i've never thought to put it on a sandwich so i may have to take you up on this one and try that because i am a big make it make a sandwich at home guy as well especially this is one of the things we've talked about this many times you know off air but here in austin texas you would clean up if you had just like a traditional northeast deli that just made bomb sandwiches there's mm-hmm. one or two here and there but they're located in very specific areas and so i do think you know down here in austin i've definitely made a lot more homemade sandwiches try to get a little bit creative with trying a few different things different sauces different little chipotle mayo something like that you know change it up a little bit so I'm with your vibe check. I like that. I will have to try the chili garlic sauce and get back to you. Uh, But that's going to do it for this episode of Green with Envy. As we mentioned, we will be back on Thursday morning to get you prepped for the rematch of the rematch of the NBA Finals against the Golden State Warriors. Greg, any final thoughts before we go ahead and send it over to some Black Sheep Optimists? Uh, nothing from the one more thing, King, today. You're going to hear some music from my band down here in Austin, Texas. This is the one that you hear at the beginning of the show and the one you've been hearing at the end of the show. It's called Skywalking, our latest release from Black Sheep Optimus. Peace out, I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be cash your feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embody that would go with the flow I could sing a different song If I could not hit the notes You had me taking off When you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't Let's go